But hey, can we give it up for Pastor Pat Sparrow as he comes and continues our series, Fully Alive. Amen. Awesome. awesome. Are you going to get that? Yeah, I'll uh, get that. You sorted. You got your thing going? I got my thing going. All right. That's a heavy thing over there. Ba-boom. Ba-doom. Josiah, Jessica, and extended family are all vacationing up at Lake Elmanor. So, yeah, they're always missed because they do so much here. But the worship team was great. Good job, guys. Wonderbar. You did good too, John. Yeah, you're welcome. You're a good servant. Amen. Make it all happen. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed last week myself. How many did? I know we've already talked about that, celebrated that. But there was a special moment in the morning service, and many people commented. I don't know anybody who didn't notice this, but there was a point where the dragonflies came in. How many were there and saw all the dragonflies? Well, that was, it was peculiar because all of a sudden they were there and they swarmed and they left. So I'm always, you know, looking for signs. <laughs> I, it's, it's just my nature when peculiar things. I, it's, it's, God's been that way my whole life as a, as a believer. And so somebody mentioned this, and I looked this up, and it's to, to be true, but it said that these are the uh, what a dragonfly symbolizes prophetically. Uh, it is maturity and a depth of character. The dragonfly in almost every part of the world symbolizes change and change in the perspective of self-realization. And the kind of change that has its source in mental and emotional maturity and the understanding of the deeper meaning of life. Now, I, I just thought that was the fact that our topic was, uh, you know, being fully alive. And last week at the picnic... I was going off of that prophetic word Donna shared with me when she said, the church needs a bar mitzvah. And uh, we, we talked about that, a bar mitzvah, that rite of passage in the 13th year of a life of a, a Jewish boy. And that 13 to the 14 year, even though we, we turned 14, it was just felt like something to comment on. And knowing that, you know, God is calling for maturity. He is. The harvest is twofold. If you look at the... the, the um, understanding of when Jesus talked about the harvest and then you tie scriptures together even with the book of James it's twofold it's he said behold lift up your eyes the fields are white for harvest the harvest is already here don't say that in four months but it's already here so it's white in other words there's people that need to hear and need, need to receive ministry but on the other hand in the book of James it says the actual harvest comes when there's full maturity in the in the uh, the wheat that the the heads are full and I think about that, that for us as the, the body of believers, that we, we are part of the harvest. We believe we're part of a billion soul harvest that's been prophesied for some time. But, but in order to see that, realize there needs to be maturity in the body to begin to embrace and to pull people in. And the idea of a deeper or fuller meaning of life, I, I think that is a theme that God's speaking about. There's a deeper meaning to life than just the artificial simple things and so that's part of what the message uh about you know being fully alive or this quote that we build into it the glory of god is a man fully alive and uh going back to coming from men's camp um this martin selgelman he wrote this book authentic happiness that makes life worth living and we contrasted a life that's given towards pleasure versus a life that's given towards purpose and that even from a secular 
scientific standpoint that they're proving biblical lifestyle, biblical goals, biblical pattern of living is actually not only healthier, it brings more fulfillment to somebody's life on the, the long trajectory. So let's pray into this today. There's some points as we go into Colossians that I want to reiterate John made, but there's some, some things in a couple I really feel like pivotal things today that if we could, you know, the, James called it the engrafted word that's able to save our soul. If God could do something by engrafting something into our soul today, that uh, salvation would, gr would grow. There'd be more life in us. So, Father, thank you for this theme, this season, all that you're doing in us and through us and for us. I thank you for signs and wonders. I thank you that you are, are calling us to maturity, that you're opening our ears to a deeper sense of purpose. And for those who, who've just started to come our way to fellowship here, to be part of the family, I, I pray that there, today would be a, an opening of ears, an opening of heart, that you would show them uh, your calling over their life for a deeper path, a deeper plan, a life uh, with greater fulfillment in Jesus' name. And, and when that begins to happen, I believe that even helps real, uh, deal with anxiety in us. It says, where there is no redemptive revelation, the people are unrestrained. And, and in that unrestraint, there can be anxiousness, not knowing which way to go and where to go and how to go and, and, and what that's supposed to look like. I pray, God, today clarity will come, that hearts will be settled, spirits will be settled in a deeper way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, in contrasting... The two lifestyles, again, one after maximum pleasure, you know, the, the popular cultural viewpoint of, of a happy life, a, a, a pleasant life, it'd be to being minimized, uh, being pushed out of your comfort zone. Um, most of us by just, I won't say nature, but yeah, I will. By nature, we try to ex escape conflict. And for all of us that are, uh, you know, product of modern society, we're always looking for a constant need of higher experiences. And this idea of purpose-driven living for a greater good, pursue deeper relationships, discover and utilize strength, engage and resolve things versus to avoid things, develop and live from a healthy flow, realize highs and lows are a part of life and to grow from them and instead of trying to avoid them. But it's sort of interesting, if you, if you take that quote be, to be the glory of God is to be fully alive and you, you put it in a Google search these are the pictures that come up with it the glory of God is a man fully alive a quote from St. Irenaeus there's always this depiction of total freedom or kind of cutting edge living jumping over something climbing something walking through something I mean it goes on and on there's always this association of like an expression of hu human freedom, of, uh, you know, casting off restraint and, and all. And, and so the question is, is this a quote about self-fulfillment or true fulfillment? I mean, in, in Christian circles, that quote from Irenaeus has been critiqued because it's actually not the best translation of the quote out of Latin into English. But it makes good captions, right? It is a feel-good saying, and it's got a, a feel-good connection to it. To be fully alive is the glory of God. And I like it. I believe there is truth in it. 
but at the same time that you could you could paint a picture with that caption that actually would point over to that this kind of life maximize your pleasure constant need for higher experiences hey you need to be fully alive and in being fully alive that is the glory of god well there's there's parts of that like i love this quote from eric lytle God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. How many remember that from Chariots of Fire? That was one of the best lines in the movie. And, and just his story was amazing. Like, to run. He said, I feel God's pleasure when I run. Well, that's sort of the same idea. And I, I like Solomon's quote in Ecclesiastes 3, 3.11, where he said, He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity in their hearts. And, and I like this. He said, I know that nothing is better for them, man, than for them to rejoice and to do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It's the gift of God. That's, there's, there's a sense of being fully alive in that, being able to rejoice and celebrate in what God has blessed you with, the things that he's surrounded you with. That There's something in that, that, in that depiction of being fully alive and giving glory to God. And then we use this a lot in New Testament quote where Jesus is talking about Satan. He says, the, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, but I've come that you might have life and that, it may, and that you may have it more abundantly. It's another thought about what would a life, an abundant life look like? Well, we'd say that it would be a life you're, you're fully alive. There'd, there'd be provision, there'd be health. There would be fellowship, there would be family, there would be adventure. That, you know, if we, anybody here went through a checklist, we could put adjectives and you'd, we'd probably hit most of the same boxes if we're talking about a life that would be an abundant life. John, at the end of his age, said, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. That's a fully alive kind of wish or, or statement that he made to the church. And then there's more recent people and their quotes. Here's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold says, pain makes me grow. Growing is what I want. Therefore, for me, pain is pleasure. I'm not sure that we would. Famous quotes from Arnold. I, I saw this and I, I could not stop laughing. I hope it's okay. But this is also from Arnold. Oh, shoot. Okay. He said, I saw a woman wearing a sweatshirt with guess on it. I said, thyroid problem? <laughs> it's hilarious. Okay, moving on. So, <laughs> the glory of God is man fully alive. Well, that actually comes from a, a, a line or a couple lines from his writings and, and this is actually what he was saying in his actual works. This is Irenaeus' quote. For the glory of God is a living human being. So it isn't man fully alive. It's a living human being. And guess what? That includes ladies. Woohoo! And the life of the human consists in beholding God. For if the manifestation of God, which is made by the means of creation, affords life to all living in the earth, much more does the revelation of the Father which comes through the word, give life to those who see God. So it was, it was a two-part, you know, the glory of God is man fully alive. His point was that man in our created state as part of creation, that, that that's part of the manifestation. It's the, it's the claims that Paul made in Romans, like 
that God is not hidden from anybody. He's made visible through creation. You can behold his creation and behold the glory of God. Man being part of that as a human being, just the fact that we're part of creation, we carry the glory of God. But in addition to that, if you think about how much more the revelation of the Father, which comes through the word, give to those who see God, he, he took it one step further, that you and I were just not part of the normal creation, amen? That the glory of God for us, and it, it said better in these two statements, the glory of God is a living human being, a God-infused life. The life of the human consists in beholding God, a God-focused life. So a God-infused life, a God-focused life is a life intended to be full of glory because of the meditation of those things that, that you know, it's... We are an amazing, amazing part of God's creation. We're made in his image and likeness. That there's something in the meditation of that. There's something in the pondering of that. It's glory filled. And then the idea that our life consists that we actually receive life and we're designed and built to behold God. And that has glory with it. That that's why the conclusion was that we're, we're a glory-filled life, that to, a, a life fully lived is, brings glory to God. It's part of the glory of God. And hence, the book of Colossians talks about these things. So if we jump now to Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, For I want, to, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as I have not seen my face in the flesh. And then here's the thing, verse 1, 4, and 8. They're, they're talk, John talked about this last week, that in Colossae there was this controversy that was going on, and the church was under attack. And we'll, re we'll read about that or talk about that in a second. But part of his writing was because he carried the burden for them, like somebody was trying to lead them astray. And so in his writing he said he, he felt the great conflict and now I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words, that's part of my motive for what I'm about to write, so nobody could lead you off with persuasive words. And then again, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of man, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So that's a big part of why he wrote what he wrote, is he was concerned for him. He had a burden that Somebody was teaching something that was pulling them away from the truth that had been laid in their life through the gospel. And you, you can, if you want to, you know, anyway, it's called the Colossian heresy. And you can Google it, and you can read all about it. But it's something that was well known among, let's say, you know, scribes, philosophers, uh, theologians. But it's basically described as this form of Gnosticism. And the name comes from the Greek gnosis, meaning knowledge. So there's a group of people claiming it's sort of a mystical, uh, very much of a mystical belief system that was entwined in, in the Jewish life, but it's also uh, followed Christianity, where there is a superior esoteric gnosis or wisdom that was given to them directly. And they asserted that God was separated from the world distantly and had not directly created the world. Rather, creation took place as a result of a series of emanations, each one more distant from God until those furthest from him created the material world. This theory preserved a rationalization that matter was evil and spirit was good. Since God was spirit and therefore good, the evil material world could have no contact with him. 
So you can imagine the, the conflict that that created where the disciples are believing that all things were created by Jesus and through Jesus and for Jesus. And these guys are saying that's impossible and they're laying out their theory. It's because the world's evil. And most of that, you know, higher form of revelation that came, but most of it was through observation. The world had gone sour. Amen. No, it was pretty obvious that by everybody's observation. But because of that, that the world had taken this particular course and God is spirit and God is good and the world is bad and the world is evil. There's a lot of things that couldn't be reconciled into the nature of God, especially this concept about God's glory. God's glory be seen in his creation. God's glory be seen in humans. But Paul, that's part of what he was dealing with in this. And, and he said in Colossians, and this is chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to, look at this language, to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both the Father and of Christ. And now he says this, in whom are hid. So he's saying this to Gnostics who believe in a mystical kind of religious uh, belief system. But he said, in this God and in Jesus are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He wasn't making excuses. He was pulling rank. Amen. The, our Jesus, the gospel that I'm preaching you, connecting you to your Father in heaven, that in this are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And it backs up the idea that a life of the human, the life of the human consists in beholding God. That it's a, that God-focused life. There's, there's glory in the reality in measuring that. There's, uh, there's this aspect of being fully alive when we think on this. That we're connected to a God in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and that our hearts be encouraged that we being knit together and that his prayer to become full assurance of understanding I, I think about that what's accessible to us think about him making those claims and saying that to be fully alive would be able to understand what i'm telling you and in the contrast to that we say now fully uh, being fully alive is being able to climb uh, to the top of Half Dome in Yosemite and look over the, the gorgeous valley and, and behold the beauty. And you, you, you can feel both in your heart. Say, I, I've done things like that. And I, and I sense this sense of awe that comes through nature and the glory of, of those things. But Paul's saying, if you could just get this, <laughs> you could get just who you are in God and who God is in you and, and what you're connected to, the hidden treasure of all wisdom and knowledge, that is being fully alive. That is the glory of God manifested in a human being. And then, then he tells them this. He says, for in him dwells all the fullness. In Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. And then verse 19, holding fast to the head from who the whole body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Hey, so here, here's a, a, a church that's being influenced by those who are saying through different emanations, that's how creation happens. And, and you can't be worth anything if you're connected to the material world because it's evil. And then God is this distant God and, and his 
he came as a life form down a different path. So the amount of disconnection in that is about as great as it can get. And not only is Paul saying we're connected to him, but we're actually part of him. We're connected by joints and ligaments, that he's the head and we're the body. And so there's glory in the revelation that you're, you're part of God. You're connected to God. You're an extension of God. His life flows from you to him. And, and the glory of God is a living human being, a God-infused life, that there's glory in that revelation. Colossians 2.13. Here's, speaking of glory, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. So tell that to somebody who believes you're connected to a corrupted system. The world's gone to heck. Everybody in it has gone to heck. And it's only about sin and it's only about, you know, the fallen state. And now Paul says, yeah, Jesus has forgiven you of all of that. All, all that could be held against you has been wiped out, blotted out. It's no longer held against you. And he says in the next verse, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He took it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So that's the important part. God forgives your sins. He blotted out all the, the, everything where the, the law said, if you do this, you shall surely die. If you do that, you shall surely die. Deuteronomy 28, Deuteronomy 7, Deuteronomy 17. All the listings of the things that are contrary to the nature of God that brought with it judgment. They were all written in hand. And Jesus took those things he, and he nailed it to the cross. But it wasn't just that he nailed it to the cross and his blood canceled out the judgment for it. He said by doing that, he disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, and then let no one judge you now concerning these religious things. But do you understand that, that if you're talking about being fully alive, it would have to do with your conscience being fully free. Amen? It would, it would be that you, you don't, you're not subject to things, religious things, being hung over your shoulders and put on top of your head. That, that you're not coming under the weight of some religious rite or burden or ritual or sacrificial system that would be so easy to miss or violate or, and so easily to scrutinize because it was so detailed. You show up and you only have two turtle doves. The law says you should have three, right? I, I can see a blemish on your calf, right? How come the sheep is dirty that you're about to offer to the priest? All of that stuff that went on that was just so burdensome to live under, Jesus blotted it out in a contrast. Now, but, you know, just think for a second. There was purpose behind all of that. God invented all of that. And there was people at a particular time of history on this planet that did their best to live under it. And it was good and godly and righteous. And so, you know, in the rabbinical system, in the pharisaical tradition, they would understand that. The law was good. Paul said the law was good. It was a tutor that led us to Christ. But it was such an intricate, extensive system of living. And to think that Jesus just said, well, you know what? I'm going to change it. I'm just going to consider, consider it all covered under the cross, covered under the blood, and you don't have to do any of that anymore. Just believe on me. You know what a contrast it is? You know how much more glory is in that than in that? Amen? 
The fact that the value of his blood would purchase and pay for sin forever for everyone is glorious. And you got included through faith. You didn't do anything for it. Amen. Your sins are blotted out. Your sins are forgiven with the intention that the enemy doesn't have anything to hold against you. It's been paid for. He can't pull you to court. There's nothing that he can hold against you if you maintain faith in Jesus. If you say, Lord, forgive me. I reconcile this violation, this act, this thing that's bogging my conscience right now. I'm not, I'm not living right. There's this issue. I bring it before you. I ask you to consider it to be under your blood. Forgive me of my sin. He said if you confess your sins, he'll forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What an incredible deal. And it's the understanding of that that the glory of God is connected to. Our eternal freedom that the enemy no longer has a case that can be made against us. He paid for it. Nailed to his cross and said, from heaven's standpoint, that's a done deal. Amen? That's being fully alive. <laughs> There's glory in that. Being fully alive. And in Colossians, then he goes on, 3, I'm jumping into Josiah's part a little bit because he's going to do Colossians 3. But you have to wrap 2 up by jumping over to 3. And he said, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is seated, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's interesting, isn't it? It's like John said. Just meditate that you want to be where Jesus is. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if, you can't, if you don't have a broader meditation of heaven, and that's why I collect and I love testimonies about heaven sitting with people, talking to people, interviewing people, there's a glory on it. There's no doubt about it. But Hebrews describes it and said it's the, it's the city of the living God. There's an innumerable company of angels. The general assembly, the church of the firstborn who names are enrolled in heaven. God, the judge of all, and, and Jesus is there. The spirits of just men made perfect. It gives a description somewhat about heaven. But then the most amazing things, it said, you haven't come to the Old Testament mountain that can be burned. You've come to that mountain. Like your spirit is represented already in heaven because you're born again and you're connected to the living Christ. Those who are joined to the Lord are one spirit. How many know there's glory in that? <laughs> That if we could get that, we'd be fully alive. And it'd be greater than climbing any mountain or jumping through any tide pool or walking, tiptoeing along the ocean front with the wind in your face and your hair blowing behind you. The glory of God would be much greater. We'd be much more preoccupied with it. There'd be much more life in us. And so Colossians, when he talks about these things, that, that you being raised with Christ, seek those things that are above, where he's seated at the right hand of God. You know, I, I think about it. Because of our mission, the church needs as much power as possibly can be manifested. Healing, signs, wonders, deliverance, we need all of those things turned up in us, right? And I believe God's doing it, and he wants to do that. Amen? Like, I believe that. God's turning that up. There's a revelation, walking in the anointing, walking in the power of God, walking in the glory of God. And the disciples got really excited about that, and they came back to Jesus and said, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he rejoiced, it said, in that hour, thank you, Father, you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent, revealed them to babes. But then he turned to them and said, don't rejoice over the power manifesting in your life. Rejoice because your names are rolled in heaven. 
And I, and I think about that. It doesn't mean don't be hungry for signs, wonders, and power, but meditate on the fact your names are enrolled in heaven. Meditate on the fact that you're risen together with Christ in heavenly places. Meditate on the fact that your eternal salvation with him forever has been paid for. And all you have to do is believe unto. The price is paid. Amen? There's glory in it. There's glory in it. And he said that that glory manifests by reckoning yourself dead to the carnal things of the world, including all the rules, rituals, things that are of a religious shroud. Reckoning yourself dead to those things, but alive unto God. Amen? And he said, for you died, past tense, once and for all, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So I guess I'll leave you with this question. If the glory of God is a man fully alive, maybe the truth is that the glory of God is a man fully dead, right? In a very living way, in a very living way. That this, tr this transformation, this inward shift, that where we begin to meditate and we continue to meditate on the finished works of Jesus, what he's paid for, what he's bought for us, what he's given us freely, what he offers to us. Understanding that it doesn't come through works, but it comes through faith. It comes through an offering of grace. And the grace of God has appeared to me, teaching us to deny ungodliness. Like the grace of God, the power of God, the presence of God, the glory of God, they're, they're synonymous. But it's this reality of being fully alive in him that at the same time it comes because we're fully dead in him. Right? That, that, that we're not... Our primary pursuit isn't a life patterned after what the world would hold in front of us and say, to be fully alive, it looks like that. But we'd say, we want the fully alive that's being offered by God and through God. Would that include blessings? Yes. Would it include material things? Yes. God is amazingly generous and he rewards us. It says clearly in scripture. Would it include adventure? It, it does include adventure. My life is extremely adventuresome in him. But, you know, I can say this, that when I do and am blessed with adventure and I'm blessed with things, if it creates an independence in me from my meditations on him, it doesn't take long for that pleasure to start drying up. That when he blesses you, it's to increase fellowship with him. As you, as you walk with him, you're going to find out that you you got to be, you live in a place of thanksgiving. You live in a place of appreciation. When you look and see what God has wrapped you in and some new things come in or somebody blesses you financially. And, and, and you look at that, the, you grow in the Lord. It just abounds in thanksgiving. It just creates a thankfulness on your lips and a thankfulness in your heart. And that's where the glory of God is found. And it's, it's dead to all the ego stuff, right? Doesn't, doesn't, no, no, shaka, ba, 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 ba. Amen? Thank you, Lord. <laughs> oh, praise you, Jesus. Let's just, let's just open our hearts and close our eyes and be thankful right now. Amen? Father, we want to know how to be fully alive to you. And your glory is a man or woman fully alive. And, and at the same time, We've experienced a, a death and, and an understanding our life is hid in you. That you are revealing who we are. And it is from glory to glory. And ultimately, when we see you, it says we will know you and you will know us. We'll be fully known and, and you will be fully known to us. And so thank you for those thoughts.
those higher thoughts, those deeper thoughts. Create in us a hunger for the deeper things of life, like you gave us the sign of the dragonfly. You've given us those themes in Scripture, and you've spoken to us that this is what you're doing. The rite of passage offered to us to go into maturity as sons and daughters of God. We praise you today. We praise you today. Holy Spirit, you are so personal. Jesus called you the comforter. Your name also means helper. Your name also means advocate. One translation says you're the standby. But I thank you for your ministry. I ask that you would move right now among us. Jesus said you would come and you would bring convictions where things need to be aligned for higher glory. And when I spoke earlier about where we can get independent from you, I just pray that you would show people the path of life in your presence, the psalmist said under the anointing, in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore and that you would show us the path of life. I pray today as a personal God to everyone in here that you would speak and lead like only you can do. We want to be fully alive. So for some, that means that, as John said earlier, you're touching our health. You're bringing new strength. Some people who are at a place where they're in a prolonged state of weakness or sickness, that you're working in them something also. But you always, unless it's our time to, do, to go home, but otherwise, you restore. You bring health. You bring strength. There's seasons. You don't leave us down. You pick us up. And we thank you for that. I just want to read the words from this his, his name is Jerry Shepherd. He's a, a theologian, but he wrote about that Irenaeus verse. And he said, I'm glad that this is what Irenaeus meant when he said, the glory of God is a living human being. And I'm glad that this is what Jesus meant when he said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full, John 10, 10. I'm so glad that saints in wheelchairs Saints who are in the hospital beds, which they will never leave in this life. Saints who are blind or deaf or dumb. Saints who are retired. Saints whose bodies just don't seem to cooperate anymore. I'm so glad that even though they cannot climb high mountains, surf the waves, or run through the fields, they are still those of whom it can be said, the glory of God 
is a living human being. And I'm so glad that saints whose life circumstances simply do not permit them to live a well-balanced life, a full-orbed existence, a life of many and diverse pursuits and pleasures, and saints whose occupational and life settings are perhaps routine, less than glamorous, or, or what we would normally think of as being fulfilling, who work long hours at what are considered to be mundane jobs and have to just keep the bills paid. I'm so glad that of them, too, it can be said, the glory of God is a living human being. And I'm also glad for both these groups that by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and by the power of his spirit, it can be said properly understood that they have life and they have it to the full. God has given them new life in Christ and that life is not sustained by a living on the edge lifestyle or even by a well-balanced and full-orbed existence. It is sustained by beholding the face of God. For the glory of God is a living human being, and the life of the human consists in beholding God. It's sustained by being a theologian, in particular by doing your theology in the second person, in worship, in prayer, and contemplation of the holiness and majesty of the triune God. So Lord, we thank you for that. Will you deposit a new sense of glory in us? Will you let us walk in your glory in a new, fuller expression? In Jesus' name, amen. John, why don't you come up? Amen, amen.